congregations. And uh, I certainly want you to understand that we talked about Jezebel here a few weeks ago. And that particular spirit is named in the book of Revelation, and so is this one. If you would turn with me to Revelations 12, verse 10. Revelations 12, verse 10. And I'm going to read it both in the King James and in the Amplified. I'm going to start with the King James. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. Now in uh, the Amplified, verse 10, it says, Then I heard a strong, loud voice in heaven saying, Now it has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom and the dominion, the reign of our God and the power, the sovereignty and the authority of his Christ the Messiah for the accuser of our brethren. He who keeps bringing before our God charges against them day and night has been cast out. All right, so I am going with that, and uh, you may be seated. I am doing a forward. This is my forward to my message, and uh, it may sound a little little different to you, but I think it's uh, that's kind of my preface for really getting into Bible study. And I, I think as you begin to hear this, you'll have an understanding, especially in the time we're living in. You've heard it spoken many times, uh, and the the rush. In the hurry of mankind in general, Christians as well, uh, all of us are in a hurry all the time. And, and when I say that, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're in a hurry physically going from one project to the other, but mentally you're in a hurry as well. You cannot be doing anything and your mind's racing. In the time that we're living in right now, it, it is a, it's a constant battle with self to slow down, whether it be uh, and uh, doing a job, if uh, one thing after the other, or mentally slowing down. Uh, it is a job, and, and the more we look at it, uh, what causes that is concern. We're concerned. We see taxes that escalate. We see the economy as it trickles down. And we see good jobs harder and harder to get. Uh, we see very difficult to get quality medical, medical care. It's less available. Prescription drugs consume more and more of our earnings. Now, you know, we can keep going, and all of you understand what I'm talking about. We have crime that's soaring out of sight. We have national boundaries that are redrawn, and all this is redrawn in the blood of fanatical terrorists. And our national value system has, has plund, plummeted. It has gone down. Our value system, uh, really, it's, just, it's a plundered maybe a better word for that. And then you, you see that... Uh, uh, Apostolic marks of distinction become less and less acceptable. Let me say that again. We have marks of distinction. An apostolic one God, Jesus name person, has a distinction. And we see that more and more that's not acceptable. And as iniquity abounds, completely out of bounds, as the love of many waxes colder and colder, we need to go to the house of God more and more. Hebrews 10.25, we need to go to the house of God more and more. Now, uh, you know, a lot of what I'm going to do, I got uh, tonight, I got it from a book called The House of the Lord by Francis uh, Frangipane, and I, uh, I, a lot of this came from him, so this is not all mine. Some of it is, some of it's mixed up, some of it's from years of experience. But uh, one thing's for sure, if we're going to overcome in the age that we're living in, 
some of the things that we are seeing happen, the list that I just gave you, it is necessary, absolutely necessary to be in the house of God. And uh, this means that we are to ransom or, or buy time as the culture becomes more evil. We must be willing to pay any price necessary to have time to come to the house of God. Anything that's necessary to come to the house of God. And we must make every moment in the house of God count. Now, I want you to follow this. We need to make every moment in the house of God count. Now, what are you saying, Brother Robertson? If you'll listen, I'll tell you. We may sometimes be tempted to coast. I cannot stand a coasting service. So we need to put that up here. Have a little boy coasting over the hill. No coasting services. Look at that. Oh, my. I just talked to a real good friend of mine. I just got back from Africa. And now I'm looking at this. It's got to be a sign from God. I know it's Africa. <sighs> Lord, help me. No more coasting services. You don't reach the loss by coasting. You never reach the loss by coasting. They don't build. They don't strengthen. Coasting services don't convict, they don't confront, and they don't challenge. If I come to church, if I ever retire from here, and I come to church, and this guy's pastor, and if I ever don't get convicted by his preaching, I'll personally... I, gotta be, I, got, I don't come to church to have you salve my conscience. I do not do that. I've got to make it to heaven. I talked about that, son. I do not, I will not make it to heaven unless I'm challenged. Every person is that way. You will not make it unless you are challenged. You know, after we wade through the clutter of our lives, after we crash through the obstacles that block our way to the house of God, after we finally come panting and exhausted into the house of God, we need to feel like David when he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We need to feel like the psalmist who said, A day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wickedness. Church attendance involves much more than merely mouthing the words of the songs, bowing our heads during prayer, bringing the tithe, enjoying the choir, and listening to sermons. Are you with me? There are three important things that a church service should do, and I'm going to leave you with this. Go, you go to church to draw, draw close to God. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Jesus said, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. If we're not drawing closer to God in a service, we're getting further from Him. Now you mark my words. You better be drawing closer to God. If you're not as close to God as you used to be, then somebody moved and I guarantee you it wasn't Him. Drawing closer to God requires us to focus on His presence. Number two, you go to church to get a grip on your faith. Hear me. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. Hebrews 10.23. The word faith in this text refers to what we believe to be our core beliefs. I come to church to get connected with my core beliefs. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
I still live holy. I dress like a man. Women dress like women. My hair is short. Her hair is long. If you don't have that kind of core belief, then you're in the wrong place. We need to have that. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan had desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith not, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. In Luke 22, Jesus asked, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? And Luke 18, listen, this world system will try to siphon off your faith and leave us empty. The devil desires to lull us to sleep, get us drunk with the cares of life, and then steal your faith. But the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. And Paul went on to say, how shall they hear unless they have a preacher? And how does he preach lest he be sent? God help us to have preachers that are sent by God, not just decided to go. Let's just get out to it. Your faith builds my faith. My faith builds your faith. Separated coals soon die out, but coals heaped together burn hotter and longer. And isolation is the enemy of faith. Jude wrote of mockers in the last time who walk after their own ungodly lust, lest be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. In Jude 18 and 19, we attend church to avoid isolation, to get stronger grip on our faith. That's what we do. Why do you come to church? You got my eight reasons? All right, look at them. Threw these up here. I'll get into my Bible study in a minute. I'm just, I'm just exhorting now. Eight things to do when we enter. Number one, she got, you're quicker than I am. Look for someone to encourage. I come to church to find somebody to encourage. Not come to church to find someone to discourage. We're going to get into that part in a minute. All right? Number two, draw someone new into your circle of friends. Draw someone new into your circle of friends. Now, don't get that. I don't get. You know, I hate that. And we, I talk. I, but you, we're not bad at it. But occasionally, you see that group. You know, and you got this poor person over here, and they're sitting all by themselves, and you got three or four of us all talking Pentecostal ease. And you know, and they're not been in church long enough to get the ease down. Thank God, <laughs> don't have the ease. You know, and we need to draw people into that circle. Number three. Number three. Express appreciation for something specific. Specific. What did God do for me today? Get me from having a wreck. Filled my tank with gas. Filled my belly. Whatever it is, thank Him for it. Number four, compliment someone. I walked in tonight. The first thing I did was complimented two people, didn't I? That's the first thing I did. I complimented two people. And I waited for them to compliment back, and I, I finally got it. <laughs> Number five, listen when someone else speaks. Ooh. Huh? Listen. Number six, make eye contact. You know, that was the hardest thing I had for you because I look back at some of you folks and you just siphon my faith. I feel weak when I got down looking at you. I finally got enough strength to look you in the eye. Huh? Look someone in the eye. Go on. Seven. Be first to speak. Have you ever seen two shy people go up to one another? And wait, wait for that person. <laughs> you know, come on. You know, find something. Even if that person looks like they'd like to shoot you. I'm looking back at a few right now. It looks like you'd like to shoot me, but I know you really wouldn't. Say something nice. Good to have you in church. You can get some of these people that's been forced, especially a teenager. They've been forced to come. 
You know, and they're sitting back there, you touch meat. Well, you know, they, you know you've heard me say this before. They think they're really tough, and they got arms like spaghetti with veins, and, they, you know, they just... Acting tough, you go up to them and say, hey, how are you? And Greg grabbed their hand, especially if it's a boy, and I just like to crush it. Just... <laughs> just to get their attention. Hey, be quick to say, I love you. After I crush your hands, I love you, man. pretty good. Number three, go to church to encourage one another. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assemblage of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see that day approaching. Another translation says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all that more as you see that day approaching. That's Scripture, folks. That's not me. That's Scripture. One of the most important things we can do is to be creative and finding ways to affirm and lift up and encourage one another. It's easy to dampen others' enthusiasm, to chip away at their self-esteem, to shatter their dreams and dash their hopes. Isaiah said of God's people, said they helped everyone his neighbor, and everyone said to his brother, be of good courage. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and he that smootheth with the hammer him that smote the anvil, saying, it is ready for the soldering, and he fashioned it with nails, and it should not be moved. Isaiah 41. Why go to church with all these benefits and many more, why not go? That's just that simple. That was your preface, your forward. Now let's get into what I want to do. All right? Just wanted to encourage you there a little bit. We're going to talk about, again, here, we're going to talk about the accuser of the brethren. Now, I made the statement earlier. I want to, again, uh, reiterate this particular remark that this particular spirit is spoken of, which I read to the Scripture in the book of Revelation, as along with Jezebel the accuser of the brethren. We can call him, and I will go back and forth, the fault finder, accuser, whatever uh, you, you, know, you want to say. But this demon can keep you from church. That's why I preface these remarks. This demon can keep you from church. Now, this particular spirit, let, let, me, let, me, let me go back to something. When you, when you talk about Lucifer, uh, the devil, Satan, he was an archangel, and, and within him is all evil encompassed within him. But Lucifer has got specialists under him, principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places, the Bible says. Specialists, you have the accuser of the brethren, you have the Jezebel spirits, you have lying spirits, you have all these, and they are specialists. Satan is not omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He can't be everywhere at the same time. You cannot say the devil's here at McCormick's Creek Church and he's down over in the Philippines somewhere at the same time. It doesn't happen. If we ever get Satan to come to McCormick's Creek Church, we're doing pretty good. You know, you can laugh if you want to, but that's the truth. If he ever comes here, we're doing pretty good because he's uh, something we're doing that he doesn't like. So I'm saying that, that he's got specialists. And this particular spirit, this accuser, fault finder, is a specialist. Uh, and this is what Satan has done. He sent forth an army, and I believe there's more than one of them, of course, of fault-finding demons against the church. And, and the purpose of this assault is to entice the body of Christ away from the perfections of Jesus and onto the imperfections of one another. 
You see, if we can start stop looking at the perfection of Jesus and start looking on the imperfection of one another, if your mind or eyesight is only on the perfection of Jesus, you will not find fault with everybody around you or the church or your pastor or a minister or a department head or a choir director, Sunday school teacher, whatever. You'll not find fault. The fault finder spirit's assignment is to assault relationships on all levels. All levels. It attacks families, churches, interchurch associations, seeking to bring irreparable schisms or divisions, if you would, into our unity, masquerading as discernment. They, he masquerades as discernment. Be careful the person who's discerning you. Be careful the person who is discerning you. Be sure that you have enough spirit in you to discern the discerner. Okay, so he'll masquerade in discernment. This spirit will slip into our opinions of other people, leaving us critical and judgmental. And consequently, we all need to evaluate our attitude toward others. All of us need to check it out. And if our thoughts are other than faith working through love, we need to be aware that we may be under spiritual attack. If you are finding fault constantly, even if you are not speaking it, be careful that you're not under spiritual attack. The fault finder demon will incite individuals to spend days and even weeks unearthing old faults or sins in, in their pastor, minister, whoever it is, or the church. The people who are held captive by this, this deceitful spirit become crusaders. They're trying to clean the, everybody up. Irreconcilable enemies of their former assemblies. And in most cases, the things they deem wrong or lacking are the very areas in which the Lord seeks to position them for intercession. If you don't get anything else of what I'm about to say, I want you to get this. Because there are, there are times... I'm going to try to keep this in order. Uh, because I want you to get this. What, what might otherwise be an opportunity for a spiritual growth and meeting a need becomes an occasion of stumbling and withdrawal. In truth, their criticisms are a smokescreen for a prayerless heart, an unwillingness to serve. In other words, what if... I'll just use myself as an example. I don't want to put anybody else in position. What if God is purposely putting me through something because, and you've heard me preach this before, I have been asking God for a higher level, uh, you know, more, uh, being a better minister, better pastor, better preacher, a uh, better uh, person to love the congregation, better shepherd, you know, just any of these things. That, that I've been praying this, and all of a sudden I start going through some really difficult times. And what God is doing is He's trying to, you're seeing this, you're out there looking, and you're seeing me go through this, and what God is wanting you to do is to be my intercessor God wants you to be my intercessor but instead you begin to look at me and say I wonder what evil he's done huh? I wonder what he's done to deserve this thing that he's going through right now what evil lurks in the hearts of men the shadow knows You'd have been back in about the 1940s or 50s to heard that one on the radio. The shadow knows. 
You know, and you look at that way, and that's what you know. You know, I know that there's something evil going on. And instead of interceding, you begin to find fault and tell your neighbors about it. So what could have developed in you being a better person and me being a better person and being closer to God results in mayhem. You get what I'm saying here? That someone should discover the imperfections of their pastor or church is by no means a sign of spirituality. Just don't think about it. You could find fault with people before you ever came to God. So what? what's the big deal? All right, so you could do that. You could always do that. What, what we do with what we see is the measure of Christ-like maturity. Remember when Jesus saw the condition of mankind. Now think about this one. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 7 that he emptied himself, taking a form of a bondservant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He died to take away sins. He did not judge them. His judgment of sin was death. His death. Now, follow this. It is of some consolation for all of us that Jesus himself could not satisfy the standards of this particular fault-finding spirit. When this spirit spoke to the Pharisees, you could see that Jesus in no way could find the right thing to do. Because no matter what Jesus did, the Pharisees found fault with him. Regardless of what he did, they found fault with him. So this fault-finding accuser of the brethren's spirit that worked through the Pharisees, Jesus couldn't even meet his standards. And if you personally have not consulted with and listened to the individual whom you are critical... How can you be sure that you're not fulfilling the role of accuser of the brethren? Even the law does not judge a man unless he first hears from him in John 7:51. You first have to hear from that particular person before you make the judgment. The enemy's purpose in this assault is to discredit the minister so he can discredit the message. That's the whole purpose. If I can discredit that person, then I can discredit what that person preaches. The timing of this, and, and this, is, this is from what I've, I've seen myself or perceived, if you would, the timing of this spirit's attack upon congregations was almost always just prior, because I've, I've seen it here, just prior to or immediately after a significant breakthrough. Whenever that thing begins to happen, and maybe that's why I'm teaching this tonight, because I know that we're there at the edge of something, we've actually coursed into it somewhat some people have and some people are still standing at the at the edge of the water but I, i'm st i'm still saying that when you have this and this thing comes about and begins to point fingers and the accuser begins to happen this is just prior to or again immediately after a major breakthrough within the spiritual realm so it's 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 really necessary for the church to have some understanding of this um when the spirit infiltrates an individual's mind, its, its accusations come with such venom and intimidation that even those who should know better are bewildered and then seduced by its influence. Have you ever seen, some of you have been around long enough to see someone who is so angry, so venomous, that you even know better and it can almost suck you right into it. 
and you know that it's not right. But it's just so, it's such a seducing spirit. It is so, so, uh, you know, again, so seductive in the way that it handles things. And what it's trying to do, you know, and, well, let's just put it this way. Nearly all involved take their eyes off Jesus and they focus upon issues. Ignoring during, during the contention that Jesus is actually praying for his body to become one. Now, if Jesus, which he is, is praying for his body to become one, how is it that we have the right to be contentious? How can you truly have unity in the body when there is contentions within a congregation? You know, you get, it, gets po- it gets pointed at the preachers all the time. Well, he needs to do this. If he go over there and he'd be good to this guy. Well, let's just get all the contention and the backbiting and lying that's going between churches stopped, and maybe that would happen. You know why preachers are afraid of each other? I'm going to give you more information than you need tonight. Because of the person who left their church and went over and lied about them to the other preacher. That's exactly why. And so you don't know. See, you know, if you could go up and say, hey, what is it that Brother so-and-so lied to you about about me so I can know, so I can straighten it out? And then, why, he don't have a forgiving spirit. I just want to know what he lied about. That's all. I'm not saying I didn't forgive him. I just want to know what he lied about. You understand what I'm saying? How do you build unity? It has to start within us. No contention. No pointing fingers. Yeah, that's why it starts. Now, moving on. Um, a person that's beguiled by this demon, uh, demon accusations and counter accusations, they, 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 rifle, uh, they rifle through a soul of a, of a congregation. That's how they, they really do the damage because then you get accusations, someone else counter-accuses and so forth. Then, then devastation wrecks the targeted church. Now, while discouragement blankets and seeks to destroy the pastor, his family, or servants of God in the church, any one of them, you know, when all of this begins to happen, then, then, then what happens, and this is another way to, to check yourself, trusted friends seem distant. Established relationships are shaken. And the vision of the church is quagmired in strife and inaction. Why? Because the church was progressing, and this is the way to stop the, prog- the progression. Because if we can, can focus internally, we will never focus externally. And that's exactly what this spirit wants you to do. This enemy is not limited to attacks on local churches. Its attacks are also citywide, national, uh, major publishers have made millions of dollars seeking, uh, selling defaming books. We all know that. Defaming books, which are hardly more credible than gossip columns. Yeah, and a few of the ministries I know, and I, I'm going I'm to qualify again, I know some of this stuff was deserved. I realize that. But it's never deserved to the point to where that's where you focus on it. And, and regardless whether that person who was defamed in any way or uh, all this nasty stuff was published was a truth preacher or not, which most of them weren't. It doesn't make any difference. The people still blanket everything in Christian. It's just one great big blanket. And it hurts everybody when this has happened. So the best thing to do is just kill it right then. Just refuse to talk about it. Because it does happen. And, folks, again, I'm going to say this. I am not pointing at anything that's going on anywhere that I know of, and there probably is, but I don't know about it. And I don't really want to know. 
I'm just telling you that I know that it can stop us, and I see, I see the potential of this church doing what this church has really been meant to do. I see the potential, and we cannot back down and let this happen to us. It can happen through families. I need to sit down. My back's hurting. Oh, 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 that feels better. Hallelujah. You want to preach a while? Okay. It can happen through families. You get mother, father, daughter, son, aunts, uncles, all the, you know, family. And you get them all in the same church. Sometimes that's the greatest detriment there ever was. It can be. It doesn't have to be. But, you know, family squabbles can somehow drift out into the church. When that family would have squabbled no matter what, because that's just the nature of some people. I never ever squabble with my family. I just ignore them. <laughs> you know, you just ignore them. But, you know, that can, drift out into, that can drift out into the church. And before long, you've got people talking about something they don't have a clue about. It's just something that, that, that's happening. Well, do you know what, what, what Keith's brother did to him? He shaved his head. Can you believe he would do something like that to him? I always thought he looked a little bit like a cue ball, but now I really know it does. <laughs> I love watching him down there shake his head and smiling real big. I love that. And it helps me. <laughs> You know, you know, you begin to look at this to, to, to mask this this the diabolical. And that's the best way of putting it. Nature of its activity, the fault finder will often garb its criticism in religious clothing, under the pretense of protecting sheep from a gnat size error in doctrine. It forces the flock to swallow a camel size error of loveless correction. Now, correction is necessary, but loveless correction is never right. Loveless correction is never right. Attempting to correct violations of Scripture, the very methods employed are a violation of Scripture. The way people did that person did wrong in, in what he preached. I've had this done to me. He didn't preach. I mean, you know, I went back and listened to the tape. That was back when there was tapes. I went back and listened to the tape and never did figure out what I did wrong. But this person had determined they turned me into the presbyter. And they listened to the tape. And they couldn't figure out what I'd done wrong either. But I knew what I'd done wrong. I crossed that person. And you see, there was no loveless correction here. It was just a matter of getting even because you crossed me. The Bible stands or falls on its own. I, I don't have any, you know, there's nothing I'm going to do is make it any worse. It's not going to happen. So that's just, you know, it's loveless, attempting, again, to correct these violations. Now, where the Bible says where is the spirit of gentleness. Where is the spirit? The Bible speaks of a spirit of gentleness, of which Paul speaks in Galatians 6.1. The humility in looking to yourself, lest you also be tempted. Where is the love motive to restore such a one? These are all biblical injunctions. Restore a person. Consider yourself, lest ye also be tempted. Whenever you begin to point at somebody, you better be so careful because you will be judged. Uh, you will be judged, I guarantee you, probably quickly, on the same manner that you've judged that person. And it all happens that way. You know, and in, in most cases, the person supposedly in error has never even been contacted before his alleged mistakes enter the rumor mill. 
of, of the churches. Or only then, after the slander has been made public through a book or a tape or a media broadcast, does he become aware of his alleged faults because people do this as well. Brethren, the spirit behind such accusations must be discerned, for its motive is not to restore and heal, but its motive is to destroy. That's its motive. The church needs correction, of course, but the ministry of reproof must be patterned after the Lord and not the accuser of the brethren. When Jesus corrected the churches in Asia, you can read this in Revelations 2-3, he sandwiched his rebuke between praise and promises. Look at every one of them. He always made a sandwich, praise and promises. He still corrected them. He, he, his, his, his rebuke between praise and promises. He, he reassured the churches that the voice about to expose their sin was the very voice which inspired their virtue. After encouraging them, he then brought correction. In other words, he let them know anybody can mess up. And you've done right here and you've done right here, but here you haven't done right. And I, this is the same voice correcting you that, that inspires you. Even when a church was steeped in error, as, as was the case with uh, two of the seven churches, Jesus still offered grace for change. How patient he was in this case. Look at this. He even gave Jezebel time to repent. You go to Revelation 2.20. He gave her space to repent. And after he admonished the church, his last words were not condemnation but promises. They were all promises. It's not he left them hanging out there with his condemnation hanging over them. He gave them promises after he corrected them. Is this not his way with each of us? You think about it. Even in the most serious corrections, the voice of Jesus is always the embodiment of grace and truth. Jesus said of his sheep, they know his voice. And a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him. Remember the word of rebuke or correction does not offer grace for restoration, it is not the voice of your shepherd. If you are, the, if you are one of the, of the Lord's sheep, you will flee from it. If someone is correcting you and it's not the right voice and the wrong spirit, the Bible says you need to flee from it. You need to run away. To find an indictment against the church, it's important to note the enemy must draw his accusations from hell. All right, now this one is this is another one you better better hang on to. I'm going to say this again. To find an indictment against the church, it is important to note the enemy must draw his accusation from hell. If we have repented of our sins, if we've repented, no record of them nor of our mistakes exists in heaven. As it is written, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, Romans 8.23 or 8.33. Jesus is not condemning us but is at the Father's right hand, and we know what that means, is a power of God. Jesus was a power of God. The right hand always stands for his power, interceding on our behalf. So you get an accusation that you've repented of. It can't be right. It had to come from hell because God has no record of it. Did you get that? Do I need to say that again? He has no record of what you've repented of. So if the fault finder, the accuser, starts bringing things to your remembrance that you've already put under the blood, it had to come from hell. You think about it. (sighs) 
Let us therefore expose the weapons of the fault finder. The first is our actual sins. Our failure to repent when the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, if you would, desires to correct us, opens the door for the accuser to condemn us. The voice of the enemy never offers hope nor extends grace for repentance. It acts as though it is the voice of God and we are guilty of the unpardonable sin. How many times I've had people come up to me and think because they were under so much condemnation that they had committed the unpardonable sin and they had already taken care of whatever it was, but somehow their mind was so full of the accusing, of the accuser constantly berating them over something that God had already taken care of months, years ago, but constantly berating them that they begin to think that the reason for that was because it was unpardonable, that they could not be forgiven. There are people out of the church right now thinking they somehow blasphemed the Holy Ghost because the accuser constantly bombards them, and even though they're not in church, he continues to bombard them. The way to defeat the enemy in this arena is to disarm him by sincerely repenting of the sin, looking again to the atonement of Jesus as the sum of all our righteousness. Yet Satan seeks not only to accuse us as individuals, but to blend into our minds criticisms and condemnation against others as well. So instead of praying for one another, we react, we react in the flesh against offenses. Our unchristlike responses are the easily manipulated by the fault-finding spirit. Therefore, we cast down the accuser of the brethren by learning to pray for one another instead of praying on one another. We pray for one another. That person, that, 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 whoever you're finding fault with, whatever it is, you need to sincerely pray for that person so that... Oh. I, I hope you can understand what I'm trying to say here. Because if you don't, you're going to constantly have criticism. The only way to get it out of your heart is to pray sincerely for that individual. I know that firsthand. And sometimes it takes constant, constant. It's not a matter of God not hearing you. It's a matter of you not hearing you. And sometimes you have to repeat and repeat over and over and over again, I really mean this, God, I'm sorry that I found fault in that individual. Or if that individual's hurt me and they have failed to repent, repent of whatever they've done to me, I still need to not find fault in that individual. Bless them to curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. That's Bible. So therefore, we cast down the accuser of the brethren by doing this. We must learn to forgive. In the same manner as Christ has forgiven us. If one is repentant of his sins, we must exercise the same attitude of divine forgetfulness. And let me tell you something. I, 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 listen, to, I listen to him and I, I feel the same way. There's sometimes that, that you, you, you know that something is going to hurt you, that you stay away from that thing. Sometimes in order for you to, to deal with a situation that has repeatedly hit you and hit you and hit you, is that I love you, but I'm not going to take you out to the Red Lobster, and especially not going to pay for it. Okay? You know, I, I understand that. I understand it. But also, I really think there has to come a time, and I'm real careful with this simply because, because there is, I've seen too many people too quickly say I've forgiven that person when you know good and well they haven't. And they're just trying to convince themselves that they have. And they hold this bitterness inside of them until finally this thing can erupt and destroy you. 
So I, I understand that there are some things you ought to stand away from, but eventually you have to come to the point where I can be really nice to that person and mean it. But I don't think it's going to come within weeks, sometimes not months, sometimes not years. There has to be, though, a point of what I call divine forgetfulness, and this exists in heaven. And we defeat the fault finder when we emulate the nature of Jesus as a lamb. Christ died for us sinners as priest. He intercedes. Now you think this. Jesus died for sinners as a priest. He intercedes. The second weapon this demon uses against us is our past mistakes and poor decisions. Anybody ever made a poor decision? I never did, but, you know. Each of us has an inherent propensity towards ignorance. You ever notice that? We all have that propensity. One does not have to read far in the history of the saints to discover they were not called because of their intrinsic wisdom. In truth, we all have made mistakes, and hopefully we have at least learned from them and developed humility because of them. One of the best ways to develop humility is make some mistakes. You find out that you're not so judgmental with people when you have gone the same road that they've gone. That develops humility. This fault-finding demon, however, takes our past mistakes and he parades them before our memory, criticizing our efforts to do God's will, thus keeping us in bondage to the past. Now, when the enemy pits us against one another, it first provokes us to jealousy or fear. That always is the beginning. The beginning to be criticized, to be judgmental, the fault-finding demon, the first thing he'll do is he'll cause you to look at someone with jealousy in your heart or fear, one of the two. Now, the security of our place in life seems threatened by another success. You got me? Now, perhaps to justify our personal failures or flaws, we magnify the past shortcomings of others. The more our jealousy grows, the more this demon exploits our thoughts until nothing about the individual or the church seems right. In the final stage, we actually wage a campaign against him. No defense he offers are going to satisfy us. We are convinced he is deceived and dangerous, and we think it is up to us to warn others. Yet the truth is the person whose mind is controlled by the fault-finder demon is the one who is deceived and is dangerous. For his own unrepentant thought towards jealousy and fleshly criticism have supplied hell with a lumberyard. All kinds. They can erect with all the stuff that they've got down there, erect walls between members of the body of Christ, and that happens all the time, and it's still happening. It starts with us, within, in order for it to grow without. And, you know, I'll be the first one to say, you can't force someone to like you. But on the other side, you can be nice to that person. And you don't have to judge that person. You don't have to yell at that person. You don't have to tear that person down in front of others or to others. You don't have to do any of those things. Sadly, it's often leaders who fall from the intensity of their first love and become the, the fiercest persecutors of others who are moving in the Holy Ghost. Now, you stop and think about it. You've got a preacher, it's any of us, that, that just simply can't seem to get there, and you've got someone out in the congregation who's, you know, they're, they're giving tongues and interpretations and prophecies, and they're doing all these things. Well, the first thing this guy, you know, the devil is going to stand, well, you could be standing right up here, and he's going to throw it in your mind. Well, look at them. Why didn't God do that for you? Here you are, the pastor. And I can assure you one thing. As God knows my heart, I want you all to do it. I don't want to. You know why I don't want to? I don't want to because I don't think as a pastor that I've succeeded unless other people have developed in the, in the gifts of the Spirit. 
if for me to be successful, I've got to see others be successful. And if a man, if a man is a man of God, that's exactly what he should want. Oh my! Done too much. Might get back into Proverbs. I might have to do. The Lord's disciples will be persecuted. And I can find no biblical authorization for Christians to persecute. Okay, now you there? They that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, Peter said. But it does not say, thou shalt persecute your brother to keep him in line. We're helping God out. Anytime God is helped out, there's Ishmael's born. All right. Persecution is a deed of the flesh. But as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. Galatians 4.29 on that. And incredibly, those who are given to persecuting others often actually think they are offering service to God. Look at John 16 and 2. It'll tell you that. Now, to combat this enemy, we must create an atmosphere of grace among us as individuals and between us as churches. Like the Father who has given us life, we must seek to cause all things to work together for good. And if one stumbles, we must be quick to cover him without condoning hypocrisy, for we are members of one another, according to Ephesians 4.25. As it is written, none of you shall approach any blood relative of his. Now, follow me. None of you should approach any blood relative of his to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord, Leviticus 18 and 6. Now, look at that. I'm going to say it again. None of you shall approach any blood relative of his to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. We are family begotten from one heavenly Father. All of us are. Their nakedness you shall not uncover, for their nakedness is yours. Verse 10 of Leviticus 18. So when you uncover a fault in an individual, you are uncovering your own. That's what that's saying. Even under the old covenant, it was unlawful to uncover another's mistake publicly. Love finds a redemptive way to cover a multitude of sins. You know, I know the Bible talks about confession, and I know times past it. And I would never tell a person that if they want to confess something in front of the congregation, I wouldn't tell them they, they couldn't. But on the other hand, I would show them this. Because sometimes in their, their zeal to confess and get things over, it's okay to talk to me. It's okay to do that, and I'm not the father confessor. No, I'm not trying to take that role. I understand that. But I'm just saying that sometimes what happens is you create an image in a congregation's mind. And even though you're doing all the right things, that image is still there. Now, whether you like that or not, that is exactly the way it is. That's why the Bible says what it does. The accuser uses yet another weapon, and it uses this weapon astutely. There are times in our walk with God when to increase fruitfulness, the Father prunes us back. John 15 tells you that. This is a season of preparation during which the Lord's purpose is to lead His servants into new power in ministry. This growth process requires new levels of surrender as well as a fresh crucifixion of the flesh. It is often a time of humiliation and testing. Folks, hear me. It's an emptiness and, and seeming ineffectiveness as, as God expands our dependency upon Him. It can be a fearful time when our need is exposed in stark visibility. 
I, 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 again, I'm, I'm a lot into what I'm in right now because I feel like I've just gone through that not too long ago. I felt ineffective. I felt all of these things. But I also see now what God was doing for me. I mean, it's easy after the case, but when you're walking through that blindly, or at least it seemed like it was, that you're blind to it and you, and you just, you know, what, what's, what, you know, why am I even here, God? Why, you know, obviously I need to be doing something else. I need to go wash cars down Bloomington or something. You know, something. I need to do something else besides being a pastor because I feel like I'm ineffective. I feel like everything that I felt was going to happen. But God was taking me to a place of trust like I've never been before. And I have it like I've never had before. I've never, ever experienced the trust level that I have with God right now. And I'm not saying that tomorrow I may not have to go through something else, but I, right now I have a level of trust like I've never had before. But it takes that. And, and so God takes us through this. And, and folks, I want, you to, I want you to be aware that you may be sitting next to someone now that may be going through this tomorrow. And all of a sudden, all these things are happening, and they feel like everything's against them, and they can be fearful. And, and you know, it's just, it's just really it's a, it's a hard time. And unfortunately, this time of weakness is apparent not only to the man or woman of God, but it frequently occurs before the church and before principalities and powers as well. And the fault finder spirit and those who have come to think as it thinks finds in their target's vulnerability an opportunity to crush him or her. And they will use that. Time and again, what would otherwise become an incubator of life becomes a coffin of death. Those who might otherwise emerge with clarity and power of prophetic vision are beaten down and abandoned, cut off from the very people who should have prayed them through to resurrection. In this attack, the fault finder is most destructive. For here his demon aborts the birth of mature ministries. Those who would arm the churches for warfare, the very people that could arm a church to go forward are the ones that are killed because of the fault-finding spirit. You need to understand that. The fault finders and gossips, I guarantee you, are already planted in the church. They're already here. I don't think you're one. I hope none of you are. But when the living God is making your, your pastor more deeply dependent or your associate pastor or an assistant pastor, whoever it may be, folks, any person in leadership that, that really want to do a work for God, and, and so God puts them through something to make them all that, all that we have to endure is done so that we can be more dependent on Jesus Christ. That we can learn dependency. We sometimes think we have it, but we don't have it. And so God puts us through it to learn that. And He wants to make us more easily shaped for His purposes. Do you criticize His, his apparent lack of anointing? Are you looking at someone and maybe He's up here preaching, maybe it's me, and you say, where's His anointing? Are you criticizing that? Or is God putting me through something in order for me to learn dependency so we can go somewhere? I'm just using myself as an example. Again, I'm telling you, I'm not, you know, I don't feel that at all. But I just know that it does happen. You know, and although he did not abandon you during your time of need, do you abandon him now when, when your faith might be the very encouragement he needs? You ever stop and think about that person next to you that's going through it right now and what he needs is your faith? Those who are sympathetic to the accuser of the brethren fulfill by application, Matthew twenty four twenty eight. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. The backbiting of these vulture-like individuals actually feed their lower nature, for they seek what is dead in a church. They are attracted to what is dying. We could look at something. You know, there's two ways of looking at that. 
Vultures are attracted to dead carnality, not spirituality. And sometimes for the spirituality to be able to come above, the carnality has to die. And vultures love to come around the dead carnality. And everybody sees them circling. Eventually these fault finders depart instinctively looking to take issue with some other church. These are grumblers finding fault, the ones who cause divisions, according to Jude 16 through 19. They leave behind former brethren, severely wounded in strife, and a pastor or a leader in any case greatly disheartened. And soon they join a new church. And in time, God begins to deal with this new pastor. And once again, the fault finder spirit manifests itself strategically positioned to destroy another church. Are you there? Today, God is seeking to raise up His servants with increased power and authority in the printing stage of their growth. And, we, and, and will we water their dryness with prayer, or will we be vultures drawn to devour their dying flesh? What are we going to be? Stand with me. Right here, I'll give you exactly one minute. Got any questions on what I said? Anybody? Raise your hand. Questions, comments, exactly. 30 seconds. Not you. <laughs> See, I got her, didn't I? Anybody else? Any questions? You understand what is, is everything clear on what I'm trying to talk about, fault finding, and how this is a spirit? Is it clear? Middle. Anybody have questions, comments, complaints, attitude adjustments that will be uh, distributed? You know, all that stuff. Anybody? How about you, Jonathan? You understand what I'm talking about? Okay, if you were to give me a synopsis of what I just talked about, what would you say? <laughs> I'm going to make something great out of you. Come on, come on. What would be the synopsis of what I just said? Are the synaptic flashes in your brain not working correctly right now? <laughs> what was I talking about? That's what I meant. What was I talking about? Go ahead. about fault-finding spirits in the church, what would be your take on that? You'll never want to come back in here again, will you? It's okay. I did it on purpose. That's all right. You just keep thinking. I'll come back to you. On this side. I'm just going to pick someone out. See if anybody listened to what I was saying. In here. Leslie, what I say? I'm going to see her get red. <laughs> What I tell you? I'm sorry. I I had to do. It. Go ahead. I had to. Well, look at you. Go ahead. That's exactly right. Fault finding, and then that is, and that just kind of putting it in a nutshell, right there. Any time that you begin, but this this thing is a spiritual. It, it, it's demonic, and it comes in, and again. Through jealousy and fear, it finds an open door. Through jealousy and fear, it finds an open door. All right, Jonathan, you got anything yet? All right. Right, right. It's just, and that is, it's just, it's not from heaven, it's not from God. So we know then then it has to come from hell. So when we begin to point out faults, is there a proper way? And I'm not 
I pointed at you, but raise your hand. Is there a proper way? Is there a proper way of handling something like that? Go ahead. That's exactly right. And if that offense, let's take, a, let's go to Bible for this. If someone's offended you, to go to that, you go to that person. And between you and him alone. And then there's the next level of that is then you find someone to go with you. You don't spread rumors about the person. You find someone to go with you, and you know normally it would be someone in leadership that would go with you, and you would try to straighten out whatever that problem is. And personally, uh, I know that a lot of people don't because we're afraid of offending others. But if you would get Let's, let's say something's going through the church concerning you. And you're hearing these rumors. And you know where it comes from. The best thing to do is to exactly go to that person and say, I, I want to straighten this out. I'm not trying to be, why would you think that about me? Why would you, what have I done? Have I done something? Let's stop the fear and the jealousy because normally, again, it comes from that. Because that demon does not come in unless there's fear and jealousy. Oh, boy, I've heard that one a lot. That's exactly right. I have actually talked to people knew good and well. They said it, and then they so you add a lion spirit to it. Yeah. Anybody else questions or comments? Oh, who? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Can you yell? You got the microphone? Okay. Eliminate everything. And, and, and you know, taking qu- care of something quickly. Yeah, yeah very, very quickly. Uh, and it's, it's a wise thing. And again, there is a right spirit because we have to go back and take in consideration, bless them who curse you and pray for them and despitefully use you. Uh, I still, I just want to stop this. I don't want to hurt the church. I, I, don't want, I don't want anything. If I've done something, please help me. Don't let me help. So I, I can ask you to forgive me. Nine times out of ten, if someone's got something against you, it's because they heard it from someone else. Somewhere along the line, somebody's upset with you, mad at you. And sometimes this stuff comes from outside the church. It really does. It comes from outside the church. Or an old, a backslider. You know, you, you can catch that from door knocking. You can go up and knock on somebody's door and they're a backslider. Oh, I can't go to that church because Brother Robertson did you know, he wears green socks with blue pants, you know, or, or something like I don't. And then you got this rumor going around, I wear green socks with blue pants. And you probably would believe it. <laughs> so I'm saying that, you know, that, that it's, it's a lot of that happens in this. You get to going and, you, you know, you took that, what, that accusation came from hell. That's where it came from. It came from hell. You can love somebody. But you don't have to take the accusations. You can know where it came from. All right? All right. Lord bless you. And I appreciate your attention. And I think probably I will try to go back to Proverbs here next time. Uh, I'm up here on Wednesday. Shake someone's hand. Tell them you're not going to find any fault with them. And you mean it.